0: Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best leaders in the world to help you scale your SaaS business from two millionaire to a millionaire. Today, we have a very special episode with Daniel Watkins, the VP of Sales at Qualtrics. Daniel, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Heard a lot of great things and a big fan of the podcast.
0: Thank you very much. And uh, just for our audience, we already covered in the past the journey from 100 million to 1B. We had the chief product officer of Box also on that. So this is the second interview where not only we will be sharing the lessons from 2 million to 100 million, but also some of the lessons to go to the journey to 1B where Qualtrics is um, at the moment. But Uh, Ready to go and it would be amazing to get to know more about you, uh, Dan, and how did you win joining uh, Qualtrics and how has been your career so far until now?
1: Yeah, it's it's been a journey. So I started with Qualtrics back in 2007 in the basement as employee number 15. Before that, I'd been working in an outsourced sales organization where I was managing the leaders. Companies would outsource their sales to us. We would go and handle that revenue and go and work through that. Qualtrics offered me the opportunity to come and start corporate sales for them. And by corporate, I mean anything non-academic. So government, corporate, and all over the world. Started with that, we had a dream to go help companies make better data-driven decisions. And that ended up becoming experience management where we go help organizations manage the most important experiences for their customers, their employees, their brand, uh, and their product. And so it's been an incredible journey. Went from starting as the first corporate sales rep, leading a team to leading sales globally. And uh, now I've got an organization of a little over 500 in, uh, in sales across the world.
0: This is quite amazing and we were discussing before the podcast started um, how much you travel nowadays to Asia, LATAM, Europe and and so far it's quite an hectic uh, schedule. I imagine that you needed some time to adapt to that schedule, right?
1: Oh, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I, when me and my wife got married, actually, literally just two months after I started at Qualtrics, we oh, made wow. a deal. We were going to put everything in, uh, into this company. And that meant that whatever sacrifices were necessary to make the company succeed, we wanted to go do that because we knew it could be something special. And uh, so, people ask me all the time, so, Dan, where are you from? And a, it says, a, where do you live? The most <laughs> accurate answer would be in a, in a hotel room, because uh, I could be in Sao Paulo, or I could be in uh, Buenos Aires, or I could be in Argentina. I mean, it doesn't really matter uh, anywhere in Latin America. We have offices all over Asia, offices all over Europe, uh, and throughout the United States. And so I spend a lot of time with my teams making sure that there's not just, oh, we only have our headquarters, which would be a co-headquarters in Seattle and Provo, but rather every office has executives that are caring deeply that they succeed.
0: That's amazing. And give us some context about the stage where Qualtrics is in. So in terms of revenues, in terms of ad counts, um, even speed of growth, so so people can relate to the kind of challenges that you are facing now as well.
1: Yeah, so we have a little over 3000 employees worldwide, 25 offices uh, throughout the world. A little more than eleven thousand of the top brands uh, use Qualtrics. Ninety-nine of the top one hundred U.S. business schools train all their MBAs on Qualtrics and use the product.
0: Um,
1: we all, and then it relates to revenue. What we just thought. so I can share the stuff that uh, that gets out to right. analysts. So we just did one hundred and seventy-two million in Q four last quarter, and that was announced during our earnings call. Seventy-five percent of the Fortune one hundred companies use us, and our aspirations for this year to go get over that billion-dollar mark.
0: That's that's quite amazing, and you are invited to come to the podcast again because we are having a special edition on corporate scale, how to get from 1B to 1Tree. 1Tree, no, no company in the world has ever achieved 1Tree in revenues. 1Tree valuation, yes. I think Apple and Microsoft both have achieved. not sure if any uh, more, and the largest company in revenues nowadays is Walmart uh, with um, half a trillion plus in the number one position. I think that's Apple and Amazon are around almost getting to 300 million. So if we just go to tech, uh, 300B, sorry, uh, of course, 300B, uh, which is still uh, another way to go to the half a trillion uh, revenue uh, threshold. So we are really becoming, uh, having the best of the best on the skillet journey from one to million ARR to 100 million, one B and one tree, it will come uh, the day. Let's awesome, do it. let's do it! <laughs> I love the, <laughs> I love the spirit. So, someone who, who puts so much in this so committed that that's that's the right answer. So, we always cover three critical ingredients in the show to to scale. Number one is radical focus. Number two is a world class leadership team, and number three, a contrarian culture of execution. So, getting from two to one million, there is a popular rule called the triple triple three times double. Uh, sorry, triple two times, double three times from Niraj Agro, one of the general partners of Battery Ventures uh, based in, in Boston. So he sees that some of the best companies in the world are able to go from two to six and then six to 18 million. Uh, and then double free times which goes from 18 million to 36 36 to 72 and 72 to 200 million plus uh 244 million so it's it's a very interesting story and you can share a little bit more there than uh that you were planning the ipo at a much uh larger revenue threshold around where 300 million uh and you were planning ipo and we all know what happened uh then but if you can just tell the story to to our listeners it would be amazing
1: Yeah, so I think Qualtrics, something that we've done as an experienced company, you pay a lot of attention to what our employees are saying. And we grew, I would say, at the right speed. And if you go look at it, we've got a real possibility of being the fastest SaaS company out there to cross the billion dollar in revenue mark. But we didn't do those metrics that you talked about. We weren't 3Xing in revenue and then doubling every single year. Instead, what we did is we paid attention to what could the team handle Was it the right decision to go and promote people from within, hire from the outside? But we always grew at what we knew was right for the business and stretching us to the maximum without breaking our backs. And so what that ended up leading to is a really, really loyal employee base. If you go look at it, the 15 people that I started with in the basement, I think 10 of them, uh, are still here. And even those Amazing. that aren't here, you wouldn't hear them saying negative things about Qualtrics. They'd still be cheering in the background. They probably own SAP shares now. And, uh, and so as we went into 2018, I spent a lot of time with Ryan talking about what was going to be best, what was going to be the way that we could really bring XM to the world. Because it wasn't about going public. It was about how, what is the next point of leverage that we can get to help more organizations manage each of those core four experiences, brand, product, employee, and customer. And uh, we talked a lot about g- going public seemed the right way. It was going to get a lot of publicity. People were going to be shocked at how strong our numbers were, how ca- that we were cash flow positive since inception. Okay. And uh, we thought that was going to be the way to do it. But we started talking about there were a couple really special companies out there, SAP being one of them with over 400,000 organizations using one of SAP products line globally. There was an opportunity to go and impact the world at scale. There's lots of great companies like Salesforce or Google or others that are really, really strong enterprise-wide in the US. But then they, they struggle in selling enterprise. Google's strong everywhere, but uh, selling enterprise solutions. There's not many that do great globally. SAP does better outside of the US than in the US. And so yeah. there was this opportunity to go and take unbelievable markets uh, like China, India, Korea. Or what we've been able to do in Latin America just over this last year, now that we've been working together, has been great. And so, uh, when Ryan was talking to Dan, was like this is what I'm thinking about going to do. I was like, let's do it. They said it's an incredible company, um, top-rated CEO at the time on Glassdoor, great employee culture, and this is an opportunity to go do what our vision always was.
0: And Brian Smith is just the founder and CEO of uh, Qualtrics correct? Yes. Just exactly. The, yeah. Perfect.
1: And he's been a Ben CEO from the beginning. So he's been here even longer than me. So I've been here 13 years. He's 17 now.
0: Wow. That's, that's a very long journey to almost two decades and mm-hmm. very close to one B, which is quite amazing in such a short uh, period of time. And uh, yeah. 100 million, it's already such a huge milestone. And if we look to the numbers, under 0.04% are able to get 200 million. So, 1B and public companies, it's only 2,000 companies uh, worldwide, which shows uh, how difficult we are. Yeah. What we are trying to to achieve, uh, it's all about. Uh, I always like to to share stats because usually people talk about those numbers and and we we forget how difficult and how outlier uh, this is. And don't get frustrated if it is not your case when you are listening at home or if you're meeting. And starting with radical focus, of course, every every stage of of the company you need to achieve different milestones to get to the um, to have the opportunity to 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 get to the next stage so from 5 to 10 million it's all about building the growth machine from 10 to 20 it might be about opening verticals or opening new geos from 20 to 50 it's another thing from 50 to 100 100 to to the 300, 300 to 500 and now 500 to 1B, it's all different milestones and you need to be completely uh, focused. So how do you drive focus uh, across your team and, and the different stages of growth of Qualtrics?
1: Yeah, so there's a system that we use and, and we certainly didn't start it. I think it actually started either at Intel or Intuit then went to Google and now it's used to go to a lot of tech companies, the OKR system,
0: okay.
1: which yeah. is basically what is the big company objective And then what are the key results that you're going to measure? And so something that we've been very judicious at at Qualtrics is following this pattern. I'm going to do X, there's the objective, as measured by Y, by Z date. And and then what you have to do to assess if you actually wrote that OKR well, could anybody other than you assess if you completed it? And so like, for example, a really bad OKR would be I'm going to read a book. Okay, so like, what kind of book does that actually get to the business need that we need? By when? I'm going to read one of my favorite books, Death by Meetings, by Patrick Lencioni, by end of quarter one, 2020, and I'm going to measure that by actually meeting with my manager CEO to go over what I learned, and that's going to indicate if I had success. And so that that OKR system and sticking to that it's been part of our DNA uh, from the very very early days has made it to where we can go and focus. One of the OKRs, we wanted every major business school in the United States using Qualtrics. If the top research on business funded by the federal government and private institutions that then go to universities all gets done on Qualtrics, there's going to be a, the best research running on us. Then those MBAs, PhDs, we're going to go off into corporate world or into government and say, hey, we want to use Qualtrics here too. That was an OKR. We're going to not stop. We're not going to distract our academic team until every major business school in the United States is using Qualtrics. And so that'd be an example of kind of maniacal focus that we focused on in the beginning. Um, When we look at metrics that we focus on in sales, we're really, really judicious about defining what is hard work. And it's not hours in the office. Some of our employees Mm -hmm. might be in the office four hours a day, and they get so much more done because of how we measure it than those that are in there 14 hours a day that got hardly anything done. And so being really, really clear about what are the measures that we use that define hard work, what are the measures that we use that define the outcomes in sales, its revenue, and then what are the skills that we're going to go train them on. So I, that, I don't know if you're looking for more, but the, the OKR system and being really, Absolutely. really judicious on it, that every employee at every level has those OKRs.
0: Absolutely. And, and we can do a quick tremble, as we were talking about OKRs to the f- third ingredient uh to scale, which is this culture of execution, which is all related with fails, but also with the rhythm and the cadence of accountability, communication, transparency, all those dailies, weeklies, monthlies, quarterlies, annuals, one-on-ones, town halls. So what, what are some of the rhythms that helped you to um, not only drive that focus, but also to assure that we are progressing into that direction?
1: Yeah. So uh, I and Qualtrics in general are big believers in less is more. So less meetings, but make them impactful. And so uh, I'm going to quote just again, Death by Meetings by Patrick Lencioni. He recommends yeah. five meetings that are critical to a business. So this is how I run uh, my organization. And so um, we have a weekly wow. tactical. And in the weekly tactical meeting, each attendee brings what are the top topics that they need to go over, things that they're going to be accomplishing that week, things that they need to get unstuck, but ideally, that takes kind of less than uh, 10 minutes or so per person. You go around the room and you address them. It gets everybody on, in sync for what's going to get happening that week. If a big debate ensues, something that we need to go and address, that then goes to the monthly strategic meeting. The monthly strategic mm-hmm. meeting, we don't put a limit on the time. They usually are about a half day. And mm-hmm. we bring up all of the topics that need to be debated. And somebody needs to come, whoever's bringing the topic up, needs to come with a very well thought through point of view and recommended action to take. We then debate it, we make the decision, and we move on. Then we have the quarterly offsite where we make sure that we're aligned with our annual objectives and what are our quarterly execution points that we're gonna go get done. There's another meeting that the book recommends that I don't use, which is the daily huddle, uh, which is a five minute yep. meeting that you do every morning to start the day off. But those are those are execution type meetings that are focused on tactical, strategic, and then annual alignment. Uh, then in addition to that, we do a couple other things as, uh, as for the company. One is every single week, we have an all-hands meeting. And so everybody, all 3,000 employees, now it's recorded if it's on time zone. So if it's on the European time zone, uh, then our Asian groups will be able to watch it the recording. If it's on the Asian groups time zone, then uh, our European groups will be able to go and watch the recording. But uh, that's also an all-hands meeting where we give big product updates. We announce major initiatives such as what are our big company-wide OKRs that people can go and attach up to. So they know what are the big bets that we're working on. Um, if we do a big, a new thing for Five for the Fight, which is our uh, fight to go and eradicate cancer. And so if there's mm-hmm. big milestones that we hit on that, those types of things happen each week. Okay. And that's the cadence.
0: Sounds, sounds quite amazing. And uh, and this this is an extra layer of complexity. We see now the trend of a lot of companies becoming remote But in your case, uh, I assume it's a distributed team, not a remote uh, team that you have across the world. But we see even within the same country in the US with different offices and different time zones, this can be complex to keep everyone on the same page. When we add Europe or Asia or LATAM, also with different cultures and different ways of behaving, this can become chaotic and execution can suffer a lot. So what are some of the tips to keep uh, all those teams in the same page when you have a distributed, um, distributed teams.
1: Yeah, so tips would be one, make sure to go and have your the meetings not just over the phone. If they're conference calls, you miss out on the face-to-face. Like even you and me, we're recording this podcast, we can see right. each other. It adds Absolutely. a different element. It, all, it feels like you're in the same building. And so that's something that a lot of people miss out on. They do their one-on-ones over the phone uh, when they're international, instead of Zoom, even if you're walking somewhere, you just have the Zoom on and uh, be looking at your phone. Um, I think that's really, really important for the strategic meetings. If it can, if the budget can afford, fly everybody in, even if it's just for a one-day meeting. Flying everybody in allows everybody to engage at a different level. There'll be a slight bit of jet lag, so make sure you have the right amount of coffee in the room, uh, energy drinks <laughs> or whatever it is uh, to get going. But the, those personal touches. Uh, are really important. Same thing for the quarterly offsite. I fly everybody in no matter where they are in the world uh, for my quarterly offsite, where we'll go through the most important things that we're going to go get done and ensuring that we're aligning. Uh, we, did a, we did an executive brief with Stanford um, executive courses, uh, the Qualtrics leadership team did. And one of the things that they emphasized is if you're going to have distributed groups the best advice would be have everybody Zoom in instead of having some in a conference room and some Zoomed in. I'm not the best at yet following that, but that was advice that they gave.
0: That's a very good one. Absolutely. And I've seen horrible things in a lot of companies uh, that I've worked with (laughs) that's... you you see come, uh, people joining from other offices and you they can't listen what we are saying. We can't listen what they are saying. So it's really an awful experience and it doesn't help uh, with communication. So I think that's a great tip. Just use everyone on Zoom and things will get uh, much easier. Good yes. point. And um, going back to the second ingredient to scale, which is a world-class uh, leadership team, uh, across I would say I would add across all layers uh, of the organization and typically we discuss from two to two hundred million we need, we need, we'll, have need the, we'll have seven different companies and from 100 million or from two million to 1 b which is your case you'll have maybe fifteen or twenty companies uh, uh, across those stages so which means that you need 20 different CEOs, 20 different leadership teams, 20 different middle management teams, and 20 different regional teams in your case, uh, 20 different vertical teams, uh, and also 20 different uh, versions of individual contributors. And uh, in this case, this, is, this can be very, very difficult and very challenging to assure that you have the right seat, the right people on the right seats in every stage of growth of the company. What is your experience with such, uh, such dramatic change?
1: yeah so I think it's it 's really, really important. Uh, one is that every organization is doing employee engagement research they 're studying their own employees i 've used the Qualtrics product since I started, even when we were only fifteen employees. I was using it every month to get feedback. When you get that feedback you 're asking questions like How comfortable are you in the skills that you 're supposed to have how How fast is your career advancing relative to what you want it to go and do and then what you go and you look at is you there 's a rule that i haven 't that I use with my organizations is I only hire from the outside if I am 100% confident I don't have somebody that within 18 months I could train to go and do that job. And the reason why is because people get really, really bothered in hyperscaling companies or even just somewhat fast-growing companies when they don't get their shot. They don't get their opportunity to prove that they can take on more. And what happens is a lot of organizations, they, they hire tired leaders that don't really want to develop their people. They just expect their people to already know it. And you miss out on one of the best parts of the employee journey, which is growing together. And so my advice would be that as you're hiring your leadership team, think about, uh, do you have somebody that could do that job in 18 months? And as a leader, are you willing to invest in them for that next 18 months, limp along together? Get them there. Hmm that loyalty you'll create in the company, that employee experience ends up changing the entire culture of the business. Now, there's some opportunities where you can't do that. So for example, when we went and opened up our European offices, we didn't have somebody that we could just go and do it because we needed our first employees that were in Europe. So what we did is we hired a leader that was scrappy enough to be a frontline, meaning they're managing individual contributors, but executive enough that as the business scaled, they were going to be able to manage individual contributors, manage leaders, manage directors, because that's how much experience they had. Those are rare people to find. Uh, the individual that I'm talking about, Dermot Costello, one of the best human beings uh, I've ever worked with, and uh, and so he, we hired that leader, knowing we are going to scale with him. And so anyway, that, I don't know if that's exactly what you were looking for. But yeah, when totally. I think about scaling and leadership, those are the rules that I use.
0: This is a very good point and very counterintuitive. There are a lot of conferences where we discuss that sometimes the people that help you to get to 1, one, one million or to 5 million or 10 million or 20 million might not have the skills to get to the next stage or what got we, you here will not get you there. And yeah. the mindset shift, and that's why the challenge. One of the challenges always the, the 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 bottleneck starts at the top, the CEO. There is a very interesting article by Nick Meta in December of 2019 that he said um, uh, the, the the CEO of Gainsight, which is Nick Meta, uh, was fired. And we are now building the or writing down the job description for the CEO in 2020. And I'm now applying again for that role and, and seeing if I'm the right person to lead the organization. I applied and uh, fortunately, they accepted me as the CEO again back. And uh, this is a very good way that maybe we should all apply to our own roles in different stages uh, of growth. And something that sometimes happens in the organizations and that we discuss a lot is you need to be grateful for someone who helped you to get here. If it was not the job of that person and that team, you would not have the opportunity to play the next stage of growth, or even to to be at one B, almost getting to one B now. So, but you need to have someone who helped to starting up with one million or with one hundred million, or getting ready to IPO and then getting acquired. But um, and this is the point, and it it takes a lot of courage to tell to somebody who offered all their time, all their energy, all their sweat to you and say, maybe we need a different person to the next stage. So I like a lot your, the contributive approach that you have to this exercise, which is how do you give the opportunity, how do we train people to be ready to be, to apply to the next role, which can be the same in the next company. So what, what do you think about that the, the trade-off, when to invest and when to change and also having the courage to not make to not hurt the company.
1: Yeah, so I think if, if the company does a really good job at articulating where we're going, so here's our one-year plan, two-year plan, five-year plan, and, then, and challenges every employee to understand. The person that's gonna be responsible, let's say our COO, when we're at this scale, this is what it's gonna look like. Current C- COO now has the opportunity to go think, are they gonna go get there? So as a leader, if you go and define that, you're in a really good spot. I'll tell a personal story here. I, this is uh, back in 2012. Sales organization was about 170 people. Uh, We were doing, I think it was something like 50 million a year in revenue. And I I I applied the rules that I was using. Could I be the right guy in the next 18 months to still lead this global sales force? And the answer was no. We were hitting our quotas, so it wasn't that we were missing. But I realized in order to go hire managing directors, in other GOs. I'd never done that. Hiring a field sales organization. I'd never done that. Our CEO had never done that. And so there wasn't anybody that could teach me. And so I remember I went to Ryan. I was like, Ryan, I need a mentor, someone who's done this because I'm not going to be there in the next two years. This is a three, four or five year journey for me to go learn these things. He's like, Dan, if you want a boss, go hire him. And it was a really cool experience to be able to go and pick who was going to be the one to go and teach me and my and the whole, my whole team what we needed to go learn to go and scale. And that's exactly what played out. John D'Agostino comes in, mentored us all up, taught us how to think about bigger deals, taught us how to think about more complex customers, taught us how to think globally, taught us how to think about hiring more senior individuals. We have a great exit, he retires, and we're all set up to go run. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but you have to go and apply this to yourself. If it's, it's kind of a sad story when you have to go tell your employee they're not ready. As a leader, if you're doing a good job at teaching them what the future is going to look like, they'll come to you and say they're not ready. And they're, they're looking for that next manager to go help them over the next few years.
0: I love that story, and such a radical candor to, to share the, this experience with, with our listeners. I really appreciate that, uh, and well done, uh, Daniel. There is yeah. something very interesting also on your LinkedIn profile uh, that I think it's one of the key skills of world-class leaders, and again, of this second ingredient, and you have their three core elements uh, that help you to go to the next stage, which is recruit retain and train Uh, and so these are some muscles and we all know that recruiting people is very very difficult and we all make a lot of mistakes until we finally get it right Uh, retaining it's also another different job about leading in the right way, working on culture, et cetera. And what you were just giving the example before, which is preparing someone to be ready to the next stage of growth, training that person and giving visibility and maniacal, as you said, focus uh, that I prefer even better than radical. So how do you train those skills and how do you develop those skills that are so critical to scale?
1: Yeah. So one thing uh, that I found really important is, if something matters, you have to find the way to measure it. So that when I to talk to my leaders about what their career path is going to look like is you need to be able to, not just recruit. You need to be able to recruit and inspire the very best in the world to want to come and work for you. Mm-hmm. And so if you go look at that, there's lots of ways of thinking the best in the world means you're going to have a diverse team. It means you're going to have a high performing team. It also means you're going to need to get out there yourself because the best in the world aren't often looking for jobs. right? But they are looking for something that they can run towards. And so we measure um, how many people each leader personally recruits. We measure the people that they bring into the interview process, what percent of them make it through our very rigorous interview process. So are they aligned with recruiting the best in the world? Or are they just bringing in kind of cannon fodder to make it look like they're recruiting? Then you go to retention. Uh, So retaining is not just um, keeping people, but that there's this very special culture. There's something special about working for you as a leader, not just Qualtrics, not just the experience management company that does everything to try to manage all these experiences, but you as a leader, there's something special about working in your organization. And we measure that through employee engagement, employee attrition, percent of individuals that are high performers in your organization relative to targets. And so that's, that's how we measure retention. And then training is so we measure every core skill and it's relatively easy for jobs of scale. So customer support, customer success, sales, um, operations, those types of roles where you have lots of them. You go and define what success looks like. Then you go look at what are their skills. And so we measure all of the skills that those individuals are supposed to have and how are they progressing from where they were to where they should be. And then what we do is, and last but not least, we also have execution. I actually don't publish that on the on my LinkedIn page, but I probably should. The fourth ingredient is execution—purely executing against the big bets that are assigned to you. And Mm -hmm. those you have, we we score everybody in a percentile. Are you in the top five percent of leaders? Yep. Top twenty-five percent, middle fifty, bottom twenty-five, bottom five. Only the top twenty-five percent get promoted. Hmm. And so we've designed a really rigorous system to ensure those four things actually happen.
0: This makes me think of the Jack Welch system at GE some some years ago, uh, about also being completely uh, fanatic about promoting the top performers and letting go the bottom uh, performance of the organization, uh, which, which sometimes I think sometimes we tend again not to double down on the strengths, but try to fix our weaknesses and not focus yeah. on our stars and our A players, but focus on the B and C players to help them to become A players instead of leveraging the ones who are already doing a great job and, and we forget to tell them thank you and how amazing they they are doing, right? 100%.
1: Yeah, so taking the opportunity to thank those top performers and then focusing on the bottom, I think, is also important. Uh, we have lots of systems in place to go and help. And so our goal is that when somebody's a bottom performer, 75% of them end up becoming performers. And we measure that. We track that. We pay wow, attention.
0: This is an amazing ratio Congratulations.
1: And so not everybody does it, but that's our, those are our aspirations. And it's the leaders that are able to do that that truly create that special culture. When you don't give up on somebody as a leader and you're with them when they're having the worst year of their life they'll remember that when they're having the best year of their life and they're going to want to keep working with you to go build
0: something special this is amazing it's kind of uh, navy seals right it's brothers and sisters as simon sinek would say it's not just co-workers it's brothers and sisters that's a very different culture and way of looking to it and um, as we have a, a, an expert and with, with such a huge uh, experience, uh, we'd like also to challenge you about what would be some of the ingredients that we might be missing in our recipe or in our principles, the radical focus, world-class leadership, and the contrarian culture of execution. Would you add something to the recipe hmm. that we might be missing in, as you are now almost getting to 1B?
1: Let's see, I, and you tell me, hiring the right people is where I end up finding, like that's third of my first third recruiting yeah. and are they hiring the right people? Where does that fit in with that, with, with the four things that you just mentioned? If that's already in there, then it's great.
0: Yeah, it's the number two, it's world-class leadership across okay. all layers of the organization. And even the individual contributors needs to be amazing uh, leaders. So it's having the right people on, on the right seats good uh, i mean like
1: that is a really really comprehensive list
0: um, <laughs> we tried a lot <laughs> to summarize some of the main components that we also listen on the show in those when in almost 20 episodes so far
1: i i'm pulling i should have thought more on that before we met i actually didn't uh i I don't... This I was think a
0: surprise. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. Cool. And we come to our favorite question and the last question of the show, which is, if you would have the opportunity to meet Daniel 13 years ago when he was joining Qualtrics as employee number 15, what advice would you offer to Daniel at that time?
1: So there's, there's two pieces of advice that have stuck out as I've got this question over the years. One of them, is as quickly as is humanly possible, get rid of the mindset that you just need somebody in chair doing the job. Somebody will not work out. It has to be somebody who wants the job, that you're committed to helping become the best they could possibly be, and that that has that capacity to do it. Too often early in my career, I would make this, I just need someone to go do that. And so I would lower my standards for hiring and then that would end you end up managing the person out, and then you have to go hire somebody different that could cost you eighteen months to two years of lost productivity because you chose to try to take the short route and so that would be one do not ever bend on your hiring bar and your hiring standards um, the second one that I would mention and this is this is this is gonna sound a little more emotional than I normally am. But I'll never forget this day. I was in Las Vegas. I had just sent out another employee engagement survey to my team. This is about, oh, how long ago? Maybe 10 years ago. And uh, I remember there were 70 pieces of feedback on things that I needed to improve on. And I remember, I ca- so I called up my dad who was the vice president of sales uh, himself. And I remember cr- actually literally crying. It's like, dad, I'm never, ever gonna live up. To these people's expectations. I'm just like 70 things I need to go get better at. And, And he gave me some advice that has always stuck with me that I wish it hadn't taken me that long even to learn, which was Dan, that means there's 70 people in your business that trust you with what they're really feeling and believe in you that you can go get better. Most leaders will never get that in their entire career. So, when you get feet, so the advice I'd give myself is Dan, when someone hits you square between the eyes on something you need to improve, take that as the best compliment they could possibly give you because they trust and respect you enough to trust you with how they're really feeling. And that took me too long to learn.
0: That is amazing. What a great way of closing the show. Daniel, congratulations for what you've been doing so far with with your team. And uh, thanks so much for sharing your time with us to share your experience.
1: Oh, the pleasure's mine. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon.
0: And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing you the best of the best so you can leverage their lessons and avoid their mistakes. See you soon and keep scaling.